It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as ELMNTFM, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And as a reminder, you can also listen on your favorite podcast streaming uh, sites uh, to our past recordings and interviews here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. So please do, uh, by all means, go and visit there if you've missed one. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Judy Pelly. She is a spokesperson for the family of a young 10-year-old girl. Uh, you may know the story about uh, Isabella, who wore her ribbon skirt to school one day and was told uh, on a school day where students were asked to wear their formal wear that it was not considered formal. But uh, we're going to find out more of the story from Judy because she uh, is a spokesperson for the family and for Isabella. And... Uh, Anyway, it's, it's got a wonderful, um, so far to the story, a beautiful ending, and we're going to find out more about that. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you. A pleasure. So, Judy, tell us more about this, because, you know, we have heard the story. I think it was on December 18th where she wore her ribbon skirt to school, and it was a, a formal day. Mm-hmm. Students were asked to wear a formal wear. Yes. Well, her her older sister uh, was wearing her ribbon skirt. And so uh, Isabella had just gotten a a new ribbon skirt from her auntie uh, Farah. So so as 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 her older sister was dressing up, she said, can I wear a ribbon skirt, too? And she said, and Jerry, her older sister, told her, yes, it's formal day for everyone. So she 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 was so excited to show off this beautiful little ribbon skirt that her auntie had made her so she uh, her mom said she could barely uh, uh, keep her hold her back from going to school she was so excited to show off for this beautiful this beautiful little ribbon skirt she got so she said she she um, uh, rushed out the door and off she went to school and once she was in school she went into her classroom so proud of her little skirt that uh, and uh, the the at some point the the education assistant uh, uh, said to pulled her aside and said to her uh, Bella, you're not supposed to be. That's not formal. And she said, your clothes don't even match. Hmm. And that uh, ribbon skirts are not formal. You, you you should be dressed like that girl. Mm-hmm. She pointed to another girl in the class. It was a little white girl, but uh, as Bella doesn't say that, I guess she just said a little kid. She pointed mm-hmm. at a kid and said, "You should dress like her. Mm-hmm. You should next time if there's a formal day, you dress just like her." And of course, it it, sh- it broke her little heart. She went home. Sure. Uh, I don't know at what point, but her her mom said she came in and she uh, she had her her uh, she took her ribbon skirt off right away and and closed her door in her room. And she said, "This is a happy little child. She's very shy. She doesn't." Uh, but she said, we knew something was wrong, but we left her alone for a minute. And then eventually she said, went in a room and I asked her what happened. And she was crying. And she said, she said, uh, you know, she told her mom what happened in school and and her, you know, shattered her little heart and her, her uh, you know, pride in, in wearing mm-hmm. her ribbon skirt. And she said, my ribbon skirt's not, it's not good. It's, and then her mom sat and explained to her that, you know, it's something to be proud of and, and uh, so on. So. She she brightened her day, day after her. She's got a good little demeanor, uh, mm. Bella. So she didn't hold any grudges afterwards. After her mother talked to her about it. 
but uh, that's how it started. And and with that, she uh, they they told the story and eventually to me and 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 uh, they wanted to set a meeting with the school division. So uh, and my sister, the the, the grandmother, mm. this is her 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 grand grand uh, granddaughter. We we see it. We all see granddaughter because in our kin- kinship system, right. we're all we're, she's our grandchild. Mm. But uh, my sister that lives in Campsack, uh, I live in Saskatoon, mm. but she lives in Campsack. She was she caught COVID, so she was uh, uh. Isol- isolated at home and could not right. attend this meeting. And and that, but by the way, she is the elder in that very school. Mm. And uh, and so I, I uh, she called me and she said, "Would you uh, uh, represent us or be be our, our spokesperson as as we're meeting with the school division officials?" And she said, "You're uh, more, you know, you know education more because I am a, I am an educator." Mm. And uh, and uh, she said, "You could represent us." Uh, and she we talked about Isabella and the incident and and uh, and then she said that. Uh, we don't want anything uh, negative. We don't want mm. punitive. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want right. her fired. Mm. We just want to do this in a good way. Mm. So we talked about it, and and uh, we said, well, hopefully that 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 uh, we could suggest things that this doesn't happen to another child in the future, and, and that we bring about uh, you know the what, what ribbon skirts mean to our nation, our women. As a, as a nation across North America, the indigenous women, mm. it's a symbol, you know, a symbol of strength, of mm-hmm. resilience. And, and um, so we talked about that. And, and as a family, we're, we're, we were very traditional. Uh, uh, we have the upbringing. And, and then uh, as of late, uh, we didn't have uh, ribbon skirts in ceremony when I was growing up. But uh, eventually, uh, ribbon skirts came into the last in the last five years, more or less, uh, showing resilience and strength with Indigenous women. I know some of them have have sacred uh, meanings and sacred uh, significance, mm. but those are those are to each and every one and, and their own. Uh, I know I've been getting a lot of calls. What does this mean? What mm. does it mean? And, and you know, and I don't. Know, there's no one size fits all. We're right. all right across the nation. We all have our own teachings. We all have our own uh, life experience. We all have our own elders, and so. So there's no one good, one right answer. Everybody should go to their own elders and, and see what the teachings are in their in their area. And I always like to tell uh, people that we're, it's, we're diverse. We're very diverse. Like in my community, we have Cree and Anishinaabe, and and our our some of our ceremonies are. are Differing, like mm. for instance, with us, we we don't go into sweat lodges and 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 whereas Cree, they do. So those so there's significant differences in some of our some of our uh, practices and uh, the way we honor our Creator. Right. Yes. Of yeah. course. Now, I understand that uh, from that uh, Isabella, her last name is uh, Kulak, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you've been calling her, she's known as Bella, that uh, then on the first day back to school in the new year, um, I understand yeah. that uh, there was support uh, from the community that got together and, and marched to the school uh, wearing their uh, ribbon skirts to show her support. Yeah, yeah we had a, uh, we, we decided that the Kulak family uh, called to us, said, Could, would you come to Camp Sack? And of course, it's it's a through for me, a three and a half hour drive. Mm. So I, des- I decided to go there. <clears throat> to go there and 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 uh, walk with them to the school. They only live about a block from the school, a block and a half. Mm-hmm. 
and then and she uh, the father and mother said you know we're going to be walking to school and uh, we would like to have support from the family so as a family we decided to all wear our ribbon skirts and, and we didn't plan any rallies or anything like that but uh, it went on face of course it went on the media mm-hmm. it, it really picked the media picked up right, right. away <laughs> right because I did put the story myself on 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 uh, on uh, social media and, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe the, the rapid response right across <laughs> the country. So, uh, so we decided then as a family to walk with them, the, the six little girls, seven little girls to the school. They all have just daughters so to the school to, to meet with the school board officials. Mm. And, uh, and the, the principal met us outside and she had a ribbon skirt on and we, we, we all, uh, and then a drum group, a drum group mm. showed up. Mm. Uh, they they sang, they sang a song and it, they walked in front of us and, and really supported us on our on our walk and then from there people started to show up and of course there was a social distance people mm-hmm. uh, little families with all their skirts and ended up uh, uh, you know so nice that, mm. that we, we, it was a cold kind of a cold day but yeah. uh, oh there was people uh, we walked with the principal with myself and family and then uh, uh, other others uh, just stood off to the side and watched, and so uh, once we went up to the front, there was uh, 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 some some words of, of, of support from the chief, and then uh, uh, another spokesperson was Ted Cuisance and and others that, uh, and then I, I I went into the school. Afterwards, we were not allowed into the school, but mm. I went in and, and, and met with the school, school board officials just because that's what I was asked to do. And, right. and we did. I met with the CEO of the school division, the, the principal, and there was, uh, I think, uh, yeah, APTN was also there. So Yes. And was that yeah. the first time you had met or had discussed anything with the school about this incident or, or had that yeah. happened prior as well? My my sister had uh, because she had spoken. Another thing that I like to mention too is that the EA did apologize before yes. as soon as, as soon as uh, she knew mm. what she had done. Mm. She said she 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 acknowledged uh, that she had made a mistake mm-hmm. and that she acknowledged and and she was very sorry and and uh, she she did tell my sister that uh, the grandmother she said she, because my sister speaks to the staff and mm. uh, now now and again she said. You know, I was just at one of your uh, your uh, sessions talking about uh, being impeccable with your word, and and what and that words could destroy people. Mm. And she said, and here, and here I go and do that, and I'm so sorry. And she mm. she called the family. She called so so it was you know there was apologies and there was mm-hmm. remorse that she didn't she showed uh, mm. that she didn't do the right thing. She said, I, I know that. And then uh, when we went into the school board, the school board. Uh, uh, acknowledged that that there was uh, systematic racism in the school systems, mm-hmm. and that there was uh, they were doing whatever they could. And by the way, when I went into the room of the school, it was a big circular, uh, big room that was meant specifically for for uh, Indigenous uh, elders and, mm. and and for it was called the uh, Elder Cultural Room. Mm. And when I looked around around at the uh, the the boards and stuff they had a lot of uh, things like this and and uh, they had a big rug with the four quadrants and, mm. and they had uh, like uh, the and teaching of the animals mm. the seven sacred teachings the four quadrants and mm. what they mean mm. 
the teachings of the the old people. So they they they're doing the right thing. Right. But I, but I think that what we're what's lacking is that I think because uh, teachers, especially especially in, in schools like that, like Kamsak is only twelve about fifteen kilometers from the St. Philip's Indian Residential School where it used to stand. Uh, mm-hmm. so a lot of the a lot of the people in the three reserves are are. Um, have 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 uh, intergenerational trauma, mm. and I think that people should should uh, educators across Canada should learn about about the intergenerational trauma because when you see the overrepresentation of of people of our people of Indigenous people in the healthcare system, education system, and the criminal justice system, child apprehension, you you, you know it, it it's all relative to that. And I was surprised that they 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 hadn't done like professional development in terms of anti racism and also cultural sensitive sensitivity, yeah. cultural, cultural safety, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're encouraging as a family to go forward to th- that we that people uh, there's resources right in your communities. There's there's like I say that that in, in Campsack, there's a reserves there and a lot of those older people have now uh, have, um, you know, many got educated. There's I know myself that there's there's several people there with master's degrees that have attended residential school and that are that are. You know that would be very um, good to 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 teach uh, mm-hmm. about or do do a training session, not necessarily, but right. but um, we. So when we uh, met with a school, they they they're going to honor January fourth as as uh, Indigenous uh, for Ribbon Skirt Day in yeah. their school division. Yes, and I understand that that is is has a possibility of extending uh, nationwide now. Yeah, the, with with a group that we started with, there's a Kulak Peli Ribbon Skirt group, and I think it's got five thousand members. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the members on there are are are, are uh, and even the uh, FSIN Federation of Saskatchewan Indigenous Nations mm. have 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 uh, uh, written a, a letter of support that January fourth be National uh, Ribbon Skirt Day for you know it would be really good because uh, the students returning to schools would be wearing them mm-hmm. and I've got l- so many inquiries of people now that don't have skirts that want to have skirts you know like <laughs> it's 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 uh, even men shirts like men yeah. men are not excluded from this yeah. it's it's to be proud to show proud as a nation to who we are and that we're that we're open to uh, working in a good way with our with our settler population as mm. well as all mm. our allies to work to to work together to make this a better a better world for all of us right because in, uh, with a trc calls to action you know that that uh th- this shouldn't be happening it should but it's but it's better late than never you know yep. you know like to to keep doing this to so i think that that with me, the creator does things in mysterious ways. Creator is always there that every morning, like even just before I came on here, I prayed for us and all our listeners and, and that we, um, you know, that our days are good and we, we, do, we listen and do this in a good way. And I, and I always say the creator has, 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 uh, does things for us. And, and, and I, and I think that Isabella was chosen, mm. and even the in the, even the girl to be catalysts for change. Sure. You know, right. 
so that we could see the the goodness that we can do to moving forward with the and, and people making aware of the the TRC calls to action and mm. some of the and learning the history right from colonization what happened to the people and 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 why why um, many of our women lost uh, along the way the power that they they had uh, traditionally and bringing that back. And, um, you know, and, and also like a, just as a nation, nation <clears throat> to be proud of who we are. And, and I think this was uh, 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 the ribbon skirt represents like resilience, bravery, courage of, of mm-hmm. our women coming forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, here you have a perfect example of what you're talking about. Uh, out of an, uh, an unfortunate incident uh, came this mm-hmm. wonderful story and this this beautiful acknowledgement of, of what the ribbon skirt stands for and all the the, the attention that it got, I understand that, that Bella has been receiving all kinds of skirts and running out of space yeah. for them. And, and it's such a wonderful thing that she can maybe re-gift or, you know, that these things can be shared, the knowledge can be shared, as you point mm-hmm. out. And that uh, it may also lead to, like you said, this uh, acknowledgement of January 4th becoming uh, National Ribbon Skirt uh, Day. So mm-hmm. there, there, is, uh, there is that side of the, of the education that you were talking about and, and uh, the awareness that has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also know that that you guys have received uh, all kinds of, of social media attention from this as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people responding to Isabella. How has she? What what does she think of all this at this point? Do you know? I think you know, as a ten year old, you know, it's hard to comprehend that yeah. this went worldwide. She mm-hmm. had somebody send send her a hundred dollars from Germany wow. <laughs> for Christmas because uh, <laughs> just before Christmas, uh, nice. somebody from Germany sent her and a hundred dollars and said, "Bella, this is for you." Yeah. And and uh, but but it's reached worldwide. Wide yeah. like there's a lady from Japan, two ladies that are wearing <laughs> their ribbon skirts and. And uh, nationwide, and and and, and I, I was getting myself because I was a spokesperson. Many calls from radio mm-hmm. stations and mm-hmm. and uh, Zoom interviews from across Canada. Like right. just just yesterday, I think that Chris and I forward them to Chris, uh, the father. He's become quite uh, mm-hmm. quite um, you know like the spokesperson now on uh, in regards to right. media. So yes, so uh, yeah, but but I, I wouldn't I, I, it'll it like. I hope uh, it keeps some momentum. I know it's not going to stay as strong as it is now, but to keep it, keep it up and keep, uh, you know, people uh, accountable for, yeah. for, for, for uh, some of the things that happened to, especially children. Now I was reminding this, the, the parents of the, the school board, you know, as an educator, you, you go there in local parentis in a, in, in a, in a place of parents, you're the, you're the parent for the, for those hours and you don't what what person would ever destroy a little mm-hmm. a little heart like like she was sure. she, like she 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 really really felt bad but because of all this that's happening she's healing and uh and hopefully she'll keep this up as, as her life goes on because she's become pretty world famous now and, yeah. and that she and and she gets mentored to to keep doing this and and uh, her dream is to be a medical doctor Oh wow! And and, and so uh, you know, keeping that up, and she does have 
there's six girls and I think there's four little ones after her. So the, the ribbon skirts will be well worn, I think. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's yeah. that's such a wonderful story. It's it's such a good news yeah. story now, you know? Yeah. It really is. And it's so wonderful. I'm so happy that uh, it's turned out this way for, for her and her family. Uh, it really sounds like it's become a family thing, of course, as well. And, and that's mm-hmm. nice to know. And beyond that, it's gone right to her school. Look at the wonderful things mm-hmm. her school is acknowledging. As you point out, you went in there and you got to see mm-hmm. the, the, the things that they are doing right. And it was so nice mm-hmm. of you to mention that, I think, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. Even to mention the, the, the person who uh, you know mentioned it initially that, that it wasn't a proper, proper uh, attire to wear for a formal day. That lesson has been learned, it sounds like, as well. So there's a really, really a good side to this as we move forward. We're really happy with the result, like with with uh, w- w- growing up traditionally with grandfathers. And my mother was also a very strong s- spokesperson across Canada. Mm. And uh, her her message was always doing things in a good way and to be to be loving and to to you know when we work together, there's something some some angry people, uh, but but. But at the same time, we want to change that around and make it a good, you know, work in a good way. Because what we as we move forward, we need to do it, uh, you know, in a positive way and and not being punitive with anybody because that doesn't really get us anywhere. So mm. when I, I I'm I work well as as a, a cultural. Uh, advisor knowledge keeper in the city of Saskatoon and I'm very very busy by the way mm. <laughs> and like working with uh, I work with the healthcare with criminal justice mm. with, the, with and and do prayers that, and 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 um, you know instill that pride in our people mm-hmm. and uh, I work with a vulnerable population the, the homeless the women at risk the, the incarcerated I work with all of those people and 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 do the best I can to 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 speak about you know, to bring the voice to those that don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do the best I can in, in those areas. I work with the health authority, uh, the police forces and uh, universities. So people are listening. And, and uh, I know that uh, there's a, a lot of uh, organizations that are doing anti, anti-racism for their, mm-hmm. for their uh, companies and for their, for their institutes. And I think that's a really good positive a step in the right direction and with zoom it, it it's become a reality to do those anti anti-racism workshops mm-hmm. across the country you know it doesn't cost anything but you but to listen and there's right. some really really good speakers and some really good uh research and and things that have went forward with uh anti-racism and systematic racism which has been in a forefront here in, uh with parliament and so on and with the, with the police forces so uh, and, and like I say, that with our family, we, we 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 were taught to do things in a good way and to to uh, you know do, to do the best we can. Right. Yeah. And and with that regard, you you pointed this out. The CEO of the uh, Good Spirit School Division, uh, Quinton Robertson, the director, yeah. uh, he he has come on board right away and and really acknowledged this and stepped up for the for the board mm-hmm. and and for the community. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's uh, uh, taking it very seriously. A very, very mm. nice man. Very mm. easy to uh, converse 
groups with and as well as the principal i was very, very proud of them I, and they were they were actually like he he mentioned ignorance like mm. we're ignorant to this and mm. and we need to change that and he talked about uh, anti-racism right. and systematic racism in the schools he talked about uh, school division uh they're 50 percent of the in that particular school are indigenous and then 20 percent of the school division so that's a significant number right and uh he is going he's going to work with the communities to to uh because like i said there's a saying that goes uh, nothing about us without us yeah so i was in, i was encouraging that you know they're as close as the community the answers are there you got to find them you don't need to bring big experts from big cities or anywhere mm. it's right the answers are within <laughs> you know it's not far that you, you you'll find people if you know there's some really good people that could present and 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 do things in all communities you know all sure. you gotta do, do is have a look yeah do, do you and think- we have a do you think that Sorry. other other school boards and other schools are are noticing this? Have you heard anything from uh, schools outside of the area that are paying attention to this and and maybe are are going to get on board? I. Uh, there, there's there's um, a lot of uh, people that have posted from 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 First Nation schools. Mm. Uh, on on the, on the Kulak Pelly web, web you know the, okay, the, yeah. the page mm-hmm. uh, the staffs but but uh, other than the FSI I'm making a, a public statement I don't mm. know if you've seen it but uh, they, they challenged all school divisions to make that to mm. acknowledge that uh, that and to make uh, January fourth yeah a national I mean uh, uh, the, to make it a day of uh, Ribbon skirt day for all the children. The the, the FSIN uh, Bobby Cameron did send a one to a, a, a challenge to all school boards. Right. Yeah. Well, it's such a wonderful story, and uh, Judy, really appreciate you taking the time to to join us and share the story with us. Tell us about the you know how this happened and and the fallout, and then of course the the great uh, way it it got turned around and the wonderful support that's come in, as you mentioned, from around the world for uh, Bella mm-hmm. or Isabella uh, and this mm-hmm. story. What, what are you hoping for the future now? Well, this is like I say, it was a, uh, about saying about the catalyst for change. Mm. Uh, it's, it's opened a lot of eyes, and I think now, uh, hopefully, that school divisions and school and people's people will start to look at at training, training their staff. Uh, when when you're working, especially like a, a provincial school that's providing a training for for indigenous children in the surrounding mm. areas, mm-hmm. they should they should know these things. They yes. should know the history. They yes. should. Uh, and and there's some really good training trainers going around and doing this thing these mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that are specially trained like we have the office of the treaty commissioner here that does you know their their mandate across the province and so I'm I'm, I'm sure that if we that uh, what I'm what I'm looking for is that this doesn't happen to another child and that the people yeah. start to to do proper training for their instructors and for their uh, for their uh, uh, staff, the school staff, before right. they start work, working with them. You know, I yeah. think there, there's also the 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 future part of this is the potential of this being a national uh, uh, ribbon skirt day uh, nationally. Mm-hmm. So there there will be some other action going forward on this. Even at, as you say at the mm-hmm. local level, the uh, school area, the school board is going mm-hmm. to initiate something for sure uh, mm-hmm. for January 4th, but it would be nice. And that's going to take some work, I guess, to get that as a national day. Um, yeah. So there's going to be more to follow on this story. And I think it would be mm-hmm. wonderful for us to touch base if, you're, if you'd be so willing mm-hmm. at a future date, just 
just to keep us informed and also to uh, get the word and keep the word going on this idea yeah. of developing this National uh, Ribbon Skirt Day on January 4th going forward. Yeah, that would be awesome, too, if any listeners have any advice on how to do that, how mm. to make it. I don't know who, who to approach. I know that uh, uh, our prime minister acknowledged her yeah. one, one morning on, on his morning, morning yes. speech. He acknowledged Bella. Yes. So so he does know about her. So I don't know where to go from there. I'm, I'm not I'm not aware of those things. Sometimes I uh, like I'm 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 older in age now. And so I'm not keeping I'm not sure how to go about those things. So well, that's why that's why there's teamwork. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Judy, thank yeah. you so much, Chimigwech, uh, for joining us on the show. It was really nice to hear from you, and we appreciate you taking the time to do this and and share uh, Bella's story about the ribbon skirt. And as I say, I really would like to stay in touch with you so that we can uh, keep this this story in people's minds and keep the idea of this ribbon uh, skirt National Day going forward. Absolutely. And I, I would really appreciate it. And I feel very honored to be asked to speak on behalf of the family. And like I say, the creator puts us here for different reasons. Even listening is mm-hmm. something that that's uh, 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 a good a good thing for for comedians all to get to, right. you know, and, and this is not only us, it's our it's our uh, allies and our, and our settler population. Right. We all need to work together yes. to make it a better place for our kids and, and those that are born. Nicely said, Judy. Nicely said. And I uh, just yes. want to say Nyawa uh, and Chimigwech once again for joining us on the show. And we will look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Chimigwech. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is the voice of Judy Pelly. She's the spokesperson for the family of uh, Isabella. Um, and that is, uh, of course, Isabella or Bella Kulak, and she is a member of the Cote First Nation. And uh, this is a story about the ribbon dress, uh, ribbon skirt that she wore to school and that was told it wasn't uh, known as uh, to be traditional uh, um, and formal wear, although it is traditional wear. And so she uh, was discouraged when she heard that, but the story went viral. And now there is a call for a National Ribbon Skirt Day. And that's really good news and you can uh, find out more if you go online and just uh, you know just find out about Isabella uh, Kulak and uh, you'll find all about that and go to APTN they have a story on it as well that's this part of the show please don't go away we're going to be right back with more right here on Moment of Truth and Element FM now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses Element 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 FM Hey, welcome back to Moment of Truth here on Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, as well as anywhere across the country on the Radio Player Canada app and also on your favorite streaming platforms. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Brian Marico. Brian is a member of the Six Nations community, and he's also a broadcaster and an author. He was raised in both Schwegen on Six Nations as well as stateside, and he is the author of Crazy Water, Native Voices on Addiction and Recovery, which was published in 1994, as well as Back to the Res, and that was in 1997. He's also worked for the Globe and Mail and the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the CBC. Notably hosting the radio series Our Native Land. Sago Brian, welcome to the show. 
There you go, David. Nice to be here. I really appreciate you doing so. Brian, I wanted to talk with you about language. You know, recently you are a language instructor on Six Nations as well. I believe you started that after you moved back to the res um, from your time working at uh, CBC and other urban areas. That's right. Uh, I think it was about 1993 I moved here. And uh, um, one of the things that I wanted to do when I got back here was learn the language because I didn't grow up the, uh, grow up speaking the language. My parents weren't speakers, hmm. and it's very hard to learn the language when you're not in one of the communities. Right. So got back here, started taking lessons, and sort of discovered there wasn't a um, there wasn't really a place for someone to really become a fully fluent speaker. Hmm. And so what I had to do, what I ended up doing, was. Uh, the woman who became my wife and I were stu- we were studying together with other people, um, with the help of the local employment agency, Grand River Employment and Training. Right. Uh, we started Ungwawanakanjokwa, um, which is a full-time adult immersion program, and it was through that over a few years that I came to become a speaker, and now I'm the the instructor and been doing it now for 20 years. Wow, that's that's great. Congratulations. I'm glad you mentioned the fact that you hadn't grown up with the language and you went back and you wanted to learn the language. How difficult was it and how would you say, uh, because we're in the middle of COVID right now, and one of the things that we're hearing about is, you know, the danger of for communities, indigenous communities, if COVID happens to get a hold in a community and could uh, potentially, uh, you know, Im- uh, harm uh, knowledge speakers, language speakers, it could endanger that possibility of languages continuing. How would you say languages are right now in terms of a resurgence or or, com- or coming back? Well, there's been a, a renaissance in language in, in language for at least 20 years. Hmm. It's been getting uh, steadier and stronger, especially in recent years, so that everybody's in, into it now. And uh, COVID makes it um, a difficult job a lot, a, a bit harder. Um, because even though the, there's been a, a big uh, a growth in technical support for language learners, the development of language apps, for example, and um, uh, YouTube videos that, that you know are proliferating all over the place that certain didn't exist 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago, mm. even though there's all this extra technical technical help available for people studying alone at home, um, there's no substitute for face-to-face um, uh, discussions with, with an instructor, with a teacher. Yeah, I, I bet. I'm, I'm guessing a lot of it has to do with um, watching someone pronounce words, uh, how their mouth is shaped and, and those kind of things, being able to explain that. Well, you know, I, I've been up to now, I've been teaching in a classroom with people face to face. And now I do the same thing. I, I teach my classroom uh, online and I can see them. They can see me. Okay. And we have this face to face communication, but it's still not the same as in a classroom because in a classroom, you, there's a lot of, a lot of information is communicated without using your voice, mm. without using words, mm. uh, with gestures and with, uh, with expressions. Mm. Uh, and physical movement, and uh, this doesn't happen uh, through Zoom. Your your presence is reduced to one little square of just your head. Right. And um, this is uh, it. It it allows you to to um, 
to, if we're talking about in musical terms, we're able to sort of teach the words, uh, but it's very difficult for students to pick up the music, mm. you know, so to pick up the rhythm and the mm. melody. Right. So they, they're, they're getting the idea, but it's just dragging out the process. It, it's extending it. And uh, uh, people are making progress in the program. I'm glad to see that, but it just adds an extra level of difficulty. Yeah. Now, as you pointed out, you've been doing this for some 20 years as an instructor. This is in the Mohawk language. Right. Now, perhaps people may not know that Six Nations, when the name Six Nations actually implies there are Six Nations and uh, six, six languages that are spoken on Six Nations. Um, uh, not, not quite right, David. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we are the people of the Six Nations. And uh, I suppose a hundred years ago, there were six languages spoken here. Mm-hmm. Now there are only three. Right. And, uh, and uh, that is Mohawk, uh, Cayuga, and Onondaga. Right. So, yeah, there's just three left. Right. Uh, and and th- that goes right to my point, that originally there would have been six languages. And, and it also goes to the point about that endangerment. How did that Im- Im- impact the community, do you think? Um. Well, I'm told that the last um, Tuscarora speaker here in the community uh, passed away. Mm, I'm I'm guessing that this was maybe close to 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, that there were there hasn't been a Tuscarora speaker here in that length of time. Mm. Uh, I've never heard of uh, of Oneida speakers living here. There's quite a community uh, out by uh, out on the out on the Thames Reserve. Right, uh, but. I, it's been a long time since I heard about Oneida speakers here and uh, Seneca speakers. Mm. Of course, there's big uh, Spanish Seneca speakers in the States, yep. but uh, it's been quite a while since I heard uh, about any reference of people who spoke the language here then. And, um, yeah, who, who else am I missing here? Uh, Oneida? Uh, yeah, Oneida. I haven't heard, uh, I haven't, I'm not, uh, I don't know of anybody that, uh, was said to have spoken the language like within my lifetime. Right. When you came back and you wanted to learn the language, who who did you study with at the time? Well, you take one thing that that uh, I point out is that there are different ways of studying and different um, different ways, and people will study by themselves. People will take uh, night classes, people will join programs, mm-hmm. um, people will get books, people will watch YouTube videos. And I say to people, everything helps. Right. And the thing is that some things help more than others, uh, are more helpful than others. Mm. And so um, I took uh, classes, uh, once, a, once a week classes in the evening. Uh, I took several of those. And um, I'd taken a couple when I was living in Ottawa, um, and you get a smattering of the language, but not enough to hold anything remotely close to a conversation. Mm. Uh, and that requires uh, a lot more time. And in order to be get to gain some mastery of the language, you really have to put in your hours. Mm. Yeah. At what kind of hours are, are we talking about in terms of the kind of uh, programming that you're doing now for language instruction? Uh, when someone starts and completes that, uh, roughly how many how many hours, and, and what does the course entail? Yeah. <clears throat> if you were uh, an adult student and going to uh, a university or something like that, uh, and you were studying a, a language that's very similar to English, mm. such as French, um, they uh, the the people who have t- studied this 
say that it takes between about 600 classroom hours mm-hmm. to become um, a proficient speaker of French and Spanish. Mm. Um, 600 hours. Um, and in our experience here, we teach a class that is in class uh, six hours a day, five days a week for two school years. That's a, that's just about, just shy of 2,000 hours. Wow. And uh, that's how long it takes us to get uh, people to that point. I think we might be able to shave that down a bit, but still, uh, it's it's that amount of time that's required to do it because our language is so completely different from English. Mm. You know, French and English are just uh, Siamese twins. Right. You know, they're just they're so close together that that um, basically the thought process is the same. It's basically sub word substitution and people cannot use word substitution substituting you know uh substituting uh uh maison for house mm. they can't uh, they can't do that because in mohawk because the language is so, so completely different it requires a different uh teaching method and teaching techniques would you say that uh, cayuga and mohawk are, are of similar ilks there between english and french Oh yes, all of our sister languages are. We're we have sister languages, and they're um, identical in a sense that of their structure. Mm. The logic behind the language is the same. It's just the elements are different. So that uh, um, if you had a grounding in the in the elements of one of these other languages, you would pick it up rel- relatively quickly. Mm. If you were already a Mohawk speaker, it would take relatively little time to become a Cayuga or Onondaga speaker. Mm. And, and so, and, oh, oh, sorry, Brian, go ahead. Yeah. One other thing is that um, Oneida and Mohawk are very close together, very close. Um, there are some people who uh, I've had conversations with Oneida speakers and gotten along just perfectly well, much better than I can get, than I do with uh, with uh, some people from Akwesasne, for example. Mm. I find people from one area of the reserve there uh, are very difficult for me to understand. Hmm. So um, you, we've got a lot of uh, similarities and some differences, too. Hmm. All right. You mentioned apps earlier as well. Is that something you're moving towards? Um, one of the things is that I'd say is that apps and uh, the public school system, There's the, that's where um, society um government and our communities are really um, um, relying on in terms of or focusing on in terms of their language efforts, schools and technology producing apps and whatnot. Mm. Uh, but these things are not going to save our languages. Uh, if we, our languages are in such trouble now where we only have elderly people speaking them. And I'm talking about lots of communities in those kind of communities. Uh, it, the children are not going to save the language, which mm-hmm. is what's happening when we're sort of focusing all of our attention on that. What we need to do is to focus attention on young adults and enable them to be, become speakers so that they uh, can, in turn, teach their children. Mm-hmm. They can guide their te- their children to speak uh, their language, their home language, as their first language. And then they can thereby... Um, establish what we call the intergenerational transmission of the language, the language that's passed down from parent to child. Right. That has been done that way for thousands of years, and that chain is being broken right now. 
Right. Now, uh, revitalization of languages like the one that you, that you were doing with Mohawk, and as you say, you've been doing this for about 20 years. Over that time period, how many students would you say have passed through the course? We've had uh, about 150 uh, come through the program. Um, about 150. And uh, when I speak or when I write about this, you know, I, I put the word fluent in quotation marks mm. because it's a very slippery word. Um, one person's fluency is quite different from another person's fluency. Um, mm. uh, and we, we, t- we know that fluency refers to like flow, right? like water flowing. Yes. And there's a big difference between, uh, you know, the, the, the water coming out of the tap in your kitchen sink <laughs> And the water going over Niagara Falls. Sure enough. They're both fluid. Yes. They're both fluid, but one is a lot more fluid than another. Right. So, yeah, we have, we've got 150 people that have gone through the program uh, with very small classes. We're fortunate and limited uh, to have a small classes. Um, but the, the number of people at this stage, uh, I can't say how many of these 100 or 150 people that have complete, gone through the program are fluent because mm. there are gradations of that. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice. You can also listen to our uh, show on elementfm.ca and you can also listen on our SoundCloud and any of your uh, uh, favorite podcasting uh, uh, sites as well. My guest is Brian Maracle. He is a member of the Six Nations community. He's a Mohawk, and he is a language instructor at this point in his life. and been doing so for about 20 years, and uh, that is before he went back to the res, and that's the name of one of the books that he also authored, Back to the Res, and that was in 1997. He also wrote another book called Crazy Water, Native Voices on Addiction and Recovery. Brian, these are, are things that I would really nice like to have you back on the show to talk about in terms of, you know, since the time you wrote them uh, in terms of that one crazy water and, and what we see now. But uh, going back to language, you just mentioned you've had about 150 students go through your particular course. And you really talked about the, the flow of being fluent. And it, it made me think of the languages themselves, because you talked about how vastly different the Ongohelwe languages are from English and French, for instance, that could be somewhat uh, Siamese twins, as you pointed out. And I know that when I've asked people to try and translate something, even a very simple phrase, that it, it can be very difficult because, because of that very structure and because of the language, uh, the way it is put together and the way that it focuses... Um, very much is it on verbs or nouns? I can't remember which it is now. It's a, it's a verb-based language right. where we are focused on activities and actions uh, rather than objects. Right. And English is, is, is much more dependent on, on, on the names of objects, right. uh, nouns, we call them, uh, to communicate. And nouns are much less important in, uh, in Mohawk. But yeah, there are uh, there's enormous differences between them, which makes it difficult to translate certain concepts. Mm. Um, so, for example, when we say in English all the time, oh, uh, 
when, for example, if you're out in the park and you're playing catch and the ball goes rolling off and, and giant and sort of rolls to the foot of some other people there, one thing that people commonly say, I need some help, mm. you know, and that's the kind of thing that you, uh, when we translate that thought into, into Mohawk, I need some help. Uh, help is a, an abstract noun. Mm. Um, and uh, we can create that word in Mohawk, but we would never say that. Mm. The, the thing of help is this abstract concept. Mm. What we need to say in Mohawk and phrasing that is, I need someone to help me. Mm. We're talking about an action there. Right. And so you have to reorder your thinking uh, to things that we think about all the time of abstract nouns. We have to now think of them in terms of actions and relationships. For example, we say, oh, there's a lot of sickness around the village now. Well, how do we have to rephrase that? Sickness is a, is a concept, an abstract noun. Now we have to say a lot of people are sick, mm. right? Mm. Um, things like that. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Same thing. How do we translate that thought? Hmm. I'd say that what the world needs now is for people to love one another. Hmm. You know, and that's, a, that's an action. Hmm. So that's how you have to reorder your thinking in order to communicate these thoughts. And things that are important in English are oftentimes irrelevant in Mohawk and vice versa. Things that are very important in Mohawk are completely irrelevant in English. Right. We are fortunate... Um, and in, in, uh, the respect that that Mohawk is still the strongest language amongst all of our languages, all of our sister languages. Mm. Mm. Um, Tuscarora has no more uh, first language speakers. Mm. You know, they've got people who are speaking it as a second language, but of course, nowhere near as well as a first language speaker. Um, and on their last legs, we uh, well, unfortunately Onondaga. Um, and uh, Seneca and are in probably the most trouble mm. of uh, the remaining five. Um, and uh, here in this community, uh, people who are who are um, attached to the Cayuga language uh, face a real problem that uh, they can't look to another community for help. Right? Mm. And mm. Uh, we here in the Mohawks here, we've got people in other communities that we can and do uh, rely on for help. So we're fortunate in that regard. And uh, the one thing that I point out to people, for example, we've got people from other from other nations that have taken our program, and we fully encourage that because they say it is far better to see speak what is you know um, a um, a different language than one that you might be familiar with, uh, because it is a language that uses the same cultural framework, uh, the same mm -hmm. concepts, uh, and the same things that are important to us. Uh, are in, in Mohawk as well as all of our sister languages. Mm. And you could learn this language and communicate with hundreds of other speakers. Mm. And I think the time could come when uh, some languages will be forced uh, because they don't have an, an efficient way of creating speakers to sort of, sort of uh, slide over to using Mohawk. So in that way, I think that uh, we're in... Uh, we're fortunate to be able to have enough speakers uh, to 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 pass the language on, and that's one thing we're able to do here now is is an, enable people to become um, so uh, sufficiently fluent that they can teach their children the language as their first language. And we have a few people who have gone through our program who have done that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
so that um, these people can in turn teach their children when they have children right. um, the language and reestablish that chain of intergenerational transmission. So there are a, a few families in Ganawage that have that. Uh, that chain, unbroken chain, mm. uh, where it's not the 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 language is is um, is not greatly affected by the English that surrounds us. Mm. The the attitude about language um, loss and language uh, revitalization has changed uh, in many ways. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that there was resistance and uh, and objections to having the language taught in schools. Mm. You know, it was felt uh, by a lot of people here um, that the language should not be taught in schools. There's no business being done there and that it should be done at home. Mm. And, of course, it, it needed to be done at that time because it wasn't being taught at home. Mm. So that attitude there has changed so that now um, every corner of the community supports uh, the language initiatives that are going on at all stages at, in language nest for preschoolers and in the public school system and for adults. Mm. And we're very fortunate that this community has supported the adult programs here for 20 years. Mm. And uh, we have done so without any government, without government assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there's been a lot of money spent by by Canada over the last, um, or as many years, uh, but precious little bit has come here to help uh, really strengthen the language. Our 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 issues, our situation gets weighed against uh, everybody else's when we have to think about government policies and where uh, funding priorities are made. Um, and this is uh, one of the things that we're always battling. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, we stress is that uh, uh, funding priority should belong or should be uh, given to programs that create speakers, create so-called fluent speakers, and who can establish and who can man- maintain this intergenerational uh, chain of transmission of the language, um, and that a lesser priority should be should go to people who are researching language, hmm. people who are creating language resources. People right. who are uh, creating apps because they are not, they can contribute and help in the work of creating a speaker and establishing the chain, but it's not the essential ingredient. And that we really have to focus on adults, young adults, to do this. Mm. Our language has been written for 400 years. Wow. And, uh, and uh, I'm glad as a student of the language that it was mm. written there because we, uh, we have so we have few remaining voices mm. who uh, carry these these thoughts and these words with them in a living in a living person, uh, and so what we what we uh, what is really precious are having those recorded thoughts, recorded messages from the past, mm. and uh, if they're on paper or if they're on wax cylinders, cassette tapes, reel to reel, or video. Uh, that's a precious resource, and uh, I think that I'm I'm all in favor. I'm great. I'm grateful that people like Jake Thomas did that uh, in those mm. days, and the people before him. Mm. And uh, we see the the value in that. If we, I remember seeing a um, an archival photograph of people um, 
here in a community performing a ceremony, uh, one of the longhouse ceremonies, in which she, uh, the photograph shows the speaker uh, using a sheet of paper to to uh, as a prompter or the word, the text mm. of the words from the ceremony in order to put the ceremony through. Mm. So yes, having a written or recorded record, I think is is extremely valuable. And at the same time, I I under I very much understand the the resistance and objections that people who grew up speaking the language and think of it as 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 something as natural as breathing mm. would object to that. I understand that. Right. But the people who who don't have that gift uh, greatly appreciate it. Right. And Brian, do you know much about? The archival um, and remains of the language that you just mentioned on any of the, the forms, uh, you know, like even wax cylinders or cassettes or reel-to-reels, those kind of things that have been documented over the years, are they available? Do you know if they're they're locked away somewhere in some vaults uh, in museums? No, they're accessible. You might have to take some time to find them, you know. they uh, you, you can just use your Google and find all kinds of material. Mm. Uh, it's out there and it can be found and... People have to be uh, uh, diligent in, in searching for it, but it's there for people who want that. Great. Brian, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Now I'll go for taking the time to join us on the show and, and share your thoughts and uh, all the best with the language uh, program that you have running. Uh, I hope you have many more years of successful uh, students going through the program. Well, you know, go easy, David, for this invitation and the, the opportunity to speak about something that's important to me and to a lot of other people. Brian Maracol, he's a Mohawk instructor on Six Nations, and it's been a pleasure having him on the show. He's also an author of Crazy Water, Native Voices on Addiction and Recovery. That was back in 1994 when it was published, and back on the res. He worked for the Globe and Mail, and he also worked at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, where he hosted the radio series Our Native Land. That's Moment of Truth for today. I'm your host, David Moses. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.